All right. Well, we've been, we've been in this sermon series, um, Celebrate Life's Healing Choices. This is based around the CR uh, movement that we have going on here in the church. And just to um, repeat what you just heard in the announcements, there's a, a Frito Pie um, fundraiser right after service. I believe that's going to just be right out these doors, right, Ralph? Cafeteria, into the cafeteria. So if you guys would go and uh, support CR, support Gabe Ashbaugh, um, any youth, if you guys are available, you guys are welcome to help them um, set up, prepare, clean, etc. That'd be awesome. Cool. Who's going to buy a Frito pie? I'm just kidding. I don't want to put pressure on you. You guys are like, I don't know if I'm going to buy a Frito pie yet. Too much pressure. Too much pressure. All right. Here's what we're going to do this morning. I want you, everybody, close your eyes in this place real quick. And I'm going to say a word, and then I want you to just act out on that word naturally. Breathe. Now I want you to breathe deeply into your belly. And I'm going to ask you four questions this morning. Question number one, what is my body telling me about myself? And I want you to search that question out. Just in your own mind, your own heart, what is my body telling me about myself this morning? Okay. Second question. Same thing. Breathe. What are my emotions telling me about myself this morning? Third question, breathe. What do my life relationships tell me about myself this morning? My relationships with others, what does that tell me about myself this morning? Fourth question breathe. What does my spirit tell me about my connection with God this morning? All right. Now, you've entered this place that I refer to as a secret place with God. This is a moment where you've now stepped into this thing where you've checked your own heart, you've checked your own motives, your own soul, your own spirit, your own body, and you said, where am I at? Where am I this morning? And the final question says, how is my connection with God? Ultimately, God, where am I on this path with you, and where do you want to take me this morning? So now, I believe, if you, if you, if you uh, cooperated, I can't force you to cooperate. So some of you guys were like, whatever, dude, I'm not going to ask myself those questions. Those are ridiculous questions. <laughs> but for those that, you, that, that you, you, you got into that, you're ready you're ready for a journey. You guys ready for this journey this morning? Yeah? Amen? All right. So everybody say the word momentum. One more time. Momentum. All right. This is the final sermon installment of uh, the Celebrate Life's Healing Choices. And our word for today is momentum. And momentum in and of itself is this sense of whatever the mass of an item is and whatever the speed that it is traveling at, the velocity that it has behind it is defined as Momentum. And something I want to separate just to start, just to kind of get our brains thinking, is there's two, there's, there's a word there. There's a word momentum. And the very first word, the very first section of that word is the word moment. Moment. And we all have moments. This, this very moment is a moment. And we're sharing moments as we go. Life is a series of moments. 
The thing is, is there's a difference between being moment-oriented and momentum-oriented. You see, moments are always happening, but by and large, for the most part, moments live in the past. Moments are, yeah, we had a moment yesterday. It was an incredible time. You know, we went to uh, this concert. We went to a concert last night in the beautiful Glorietta Mountains with the youth group, and that was a moment. And moment-oriented people, essentially what we do is we look to our past. I think about the last time uh, you pulled out, who still uses photo albums? Anybody? I need to get on that. I want photo albums. So think about the last time you're showing photos to people and you're reminiscing about these moments, these times that you had with family and loved ones, but ultimately moments are in the past. That doesn't mean moments are invaluable. But Paul said this, Paul said this, he says in Philippians 3.13, he says, I pursue this one thing, that I let go of what lies behind me, that I might press on to what lies ahead. I let go of what lies behind me, that I might press on to what lies ahead. Moments aren't bad, but you can't live there. Moments aren't bad, but you can't live there. And see, we're, we're talking about this whole series about celebrating our recovery with Jesus Christ. And as Christ has come into our lives, he's begun to shift some things. He's begun to do some things. He's revealed things about ourselves to ourselves. And a lot of these moments that he bring up can be very powerful if, if you put the second word, second half of that word in there. Everybody say, um. That sounded cool. <laughs> or say, um. Um. This is too fun. Let's just do that all morning. This idea of um is this idea to ponder. To think upon something. To be confounded by something. To be almost thrown for a loop in something. You see, we can let our moments just be there and sit there and do absolutely nothing or we can come to this place with God where we say, what are you telling me about the moments? And the moment that you throw an um, a ponder, a question, a thought behind that, suddenly you have velocity. Suddenly you have movement. Suddenly your soul is going somewhere. And you know what I'm talking about because I know you've been to that place before where you, you, there's just something inside of you, your guts almost, they just move. It just seems like the Holy Spirit's just moving you into these new places. And maybe you didn't have the, the terms to call it the Holy Spirit, but maybe, maybe, but maybe you've experienced that before, that drawing, that pulling. And that is what we're going to be talking about this morning, momentum, momentum. So our two big questions are two big questions. Actually, before I get into that, I want to just recap real quick the past couple weeks. We've talked about um, six different choices. We talked about the reality choice, which was essentially admitting that we have a need, admitting that there is a weakness or an error or some stronghold in our lives that we need help in. So admitting need. The second choice was called the hope choice. Everybody say hope choice. Hope choice. This was basically saying, I need to get help. So we search out hope through help. So that's the second choice, hope choice. The next one is commitment choice. Everybody say commitment. 
Commitment was essentially letting go. And I know um, if you have young children, the whole time you heard Pastor Ron talking about let it go, all you could ever think about was that movie Frozen. You know, that's all I could think about. I was back there in the sound booth like Ron, Grace even looked at me like I have a good song for this sermon. You know, we could just play this right now. So the commitment choice is essentially letting go of the things that have held us down, letting go of the issue, letting go of the problem, saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. So that was commitment. The next one was house cleaning choice. Everybody say house cleaning. House cleaning. Who is in like a spring clean mood yet? Anybody? I so am. Like I go to my house and I just look at things that I want to throw away. Like everywhere. It's just like I want to throw that away. I want to throw that away. I don't want to clean my TV anymore. So I'm going to throw that away. It's just so much easier to throw things away than it is to clean. I'm just saying. The next thing is a transformation choice. Everybody say transformation. And transformation was essentially through the grace, through the power of grace, making changes in our lives that God leads us into. The next one that we talked about last week, and I know this was a heavy one, relationship choice. Everybody say relationship. Relationship. And this is where we had to face that inner man of ourselves, where we had to say, you know what, there are some broken things in my life that I have just chosen to bypass and just act like it doesn't have that much effect. And when Ron starts talking about forgiveness and bitterness and stuff like that, it hits something a little sensitive inside of us. And the Spirit takes that moment and moves us into a momentum of restoration. And I've heard countless stories at this point of like relationships being restored since past Sunday. So that's incredible. So let's just, let's just clap because God's awesome. Awesome. So the two big questions that I have for us today are these. How do I keep growing? How do I as a Christian keep growing? Okay, so I've dealt with these things. I've admitted that I have a problem. I've gone to God with those problems. God's helped me through those problems. Now what do I do? Now what? Because now all of those are just moments. Now all of that healing that took place, and maybe you're still going through it, and that's beautiful. And you, I mean, well, essentially, we're always going to be going through this um, rebuilding um, that God's doing in our hearts. But it's so easy to just kind of look back on the things that God's brought us through and just treat them like a picture in a photo album, like it's just this moment that doesn't really have too much power in us anymore. But what if we pondered upon those things that God has brought us through? So how do we keep on growing is the first question. And we'll answer these questions throughout. Second question, essentially the same thing, just in a different kind of, um, I guess, light. How do I avoid falling back into my old habits? How do I avoid falling back into my old habits? You know, in CR, it started out as this um, kind of um, substance abuse recovery program at Saddleback Church. It started it mostly for for, um, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, these different things. And then as they kept going and they kept going and they put these things together, um, that Rick Warren and uh, and the other, the gentleman, I forget his name, who who helped him out with this, they started saying like, you know what, There's, there's a lot more issues out there than just substance abuse. What about codependency? What about people that don't have a sense of identity within themselves, so they need to surround themselves with other people and almost like slave to them to find their own identity? You know, what about, what about people that are just stuck in depression, that they, they, can't, they can't seem to get out of this move, this, this, this groove in their life, etc.? And so as we talk about how do I avoid falling back into my bad habits, we can't necessarily, it's going to be different for every single one of you guys. And I want every single person in this room to identify what does this mean to me? 
What does this mean for me? Because this isn't just a message for those dealing with substance abuse. It's definitely that, but it's also those of us dealing with things that we don't know who we are as people. And so identify those things, whatever it may be. And then, and then let's just, let's go on this journey with each other. So how do I keep on growing? How do I avoid falling back into my old habits? And the verse that God gave me just to kind of spring into this whole thing is this, Galatians 5.1. It says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And a lot of times in Christian culture, at least from my understanding and and what I've been around, that's kind of where the quote of that verse ends. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And everybody's like, yeah, freedom, it's awesome. You know, and that's, but that's as far as we take it. But then Paul says, but warning, watch out for this. He says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know what that means? It means there's a choice here. It means there's options left open to you. That means that God is so good and God is so loving that he's not going to come in here and force your hand to do what is right. But he's going to let you say, hey, come with me on this journey and walk the path that I prepare for you. But it's still your choice. So he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. As I thought about this, I pondered, um, I ummed about that scripture. And as I did that, uh, God reminded me of the Israelites in, in, uh, as, as God brings them out of Egypt. Sets them free from all this captivity, this hard labor that they were having, that they were building pyramids and, and these things that even today we can't even understand architecturally how it was possible for them to do those things. But they did those things. And not by their own free will. You see, they were slaves. They were in bondage. They were, they were mistreated. They didn't have identity. They didn't have identity. And God sets them free. We know the story. God sends Moses and Aaron and the 10 plagues and those things cover Egypt. And it shakes the foundation of the strongest, greatest nation of that time. The power of God does. Not only that, but then God takes them out and he leads them to what seems to be like a dead end. But then he opens up a whole sea for them and creates a path for them to walk to freedom. He opens up this thing for them so they could get to this place of freedom. And then not only that, God shows his goodness by covering the Egyptians in the sea. So now it's not, hey, you're free. Now it's, hey, those things that kept you captive are now underwater. And it reminds me of the story where, where, where Paul is talking to us about what is baptism. And he says baptism is so, um, it's, as, it's, as, it's as like the Israelites walking through the Red Sea and like the oppressors were drowned in the sea. So our old man was drowned in the sea. So the old man's gone now. The Egyptians are gone now. The Israelites are free. They go off into the desert. We know the story. In Exodus, at this point, they're getting hungry. And so they went out. This is from Exodus 16.1. It says, they set out from Elam. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, 
which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And we can look at that verse and be like, come on, people. Like, you just saw ten plagues fall from heaven and destroy the greatest nation in the world. You just watched your enemies, you, I mean, you just watched your enemies drown in this sea that you saw split in two. And now you're going to complain about your stomach hurting. And we can have that approach, that attitude. But what if scripture isn't just something that we can look back on and say, hey, this is what happened. What if scripture is also this thing that is living and breathing and moving? And today, it's not so much about what was then, but it's about what is now. What is going on in your life right now? How does this story apply to you now? What seas has God brought you through? What enemies have you watched your Lord cover in the waters? And what are the stomach pains that we grumble about today? What are the stomach pains that we find ourselves grumbling about today? We go on. The Israelites, they go through this, this, this whole period in the desert. We go to, I'm going to have you guys, if you want to go there, you can just take notes. Um, Numbers 13 and 14, and I'm just going to expound on this. We're not going to read this too much scripture for today. Um, the Israelites are close. They're so close to the promised land. They've seen manna from heaven. They've seen quails falling from the sky. That's scary. Like dodging quails. Can you imagine how terrifying that would be? That would, I mean, get hit with a quail in the face. Then you'll see, you know, that's, that's hurts. They see rocks spewing out water for them. They see thing moment after moment after moment. But they let those moments stay in the past. They let those moments stay in the photo album of who they are and where they're coming from. They forget about the goodness of God. So Numbers 13 and 14, we get to this place, they're close, they're so close to the promised land, and Moses and Aaron and all the people are there, Joshua, Caleb, and Moses says, okay, we're going to send out some spies to the new land, we're right there, man, we're on the border. So he sends, he sends spies to the promised land, and the spies go out, they're gone, they're gone for a period of time, they come back, right, while they're there, they see two things, they see giants in the land. And they see grapes. They see giants and they see grapes. See, and again, how does this then apply to us? Maybe the promised land that God's calling you to isn't going to be just full of fruit. Maybe there's some giants you need to deal with as you step in through the land. And there was two different perspectives that came out of this journey. There was a group of 10 of them that come back and they say, you know what? We can't do this. There are giants in the land. We saw the, the descendants of the Nephilim. We saw these, these great men of valor, these men that, that they would just squash us. And 10 of them bring back this perspective of doubt and fear, regrets. 
And they leave the photo album in the back and they just forget all about what God had already done for them. And Joshua and Caleb come back and Caleb speaks up. He says, oh, men of Israel, we can do this. Our God is greater than they are. Our God is greater than anything there. And then he says, and what's, what's more is he brings out these huge grapes. It says that they had to carry these grapes on a pole between two men. Have you ever had to go to a store and have somebody help you pick out grapes? These are big grapes, man. These are some big grapes. And Caleb says, yeah, okay, there's giants, but look at the fruit. Look at what God is giving us. Yeah, there's giants. We have God. In your own life, yeah, there are struggles. There is pain. You have to go through these steps that, that Pastor Ron's been talking about, and it hurts, and, and, it, and you have to deal with those relationships and the brokenness of your past and forgiving yourself even. Yeah, there's giants, but there's grapes. There's so much fruit. There's so much life that God is bringing his children into for freedom. Christ set us free. But do not submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. And we see this. This thing goes on as these, these spies come back. In Numbers 14, the people of Israel says, it says this, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. And the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them again, listen to this, Would that we had just died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Question. This morning, what direction do you find yourself walking? Toward the promised land or back to Egypt? To the promised land or back to Egypt? Because you're going one way or another. You're going one direction or another. And God has called you to freedom. That's why Jesus came. That's why we have the cross. That was the doorway to new life. To living waters from our bellies just flowing out of us. But oh, Egypt. Oh, Egypt. And I think a lot, of the, a lot of the appeal behind Egypt for us in our lives is at least it made some sense. At least then I had, I, I had an understanding of what I was doing. You see, the walk to the promised land is scary. It's, it's a scary moment because we don't know where God's taking us sometimes. We know where we came from. We don't always know what direction God's leading us in, and that scares us sometimes. And so Egypt starts to look really, really comfortable, really nice. The interesting thing is, is they're talking about, I mean, in Exodus, they're talking about, hey, we had meat pots back then. It's like, yeah, but you were getting hit with whips like every three seconds. They didn't remember that. They remembered the good old times. Who's ever had a conversation about the good old days before you were saved? Yeah, a lot of us. We have those conversations of, man, I remember back in the good old days. These, man, 
after the cross, those are the best of days. And we can't look at our past anymore and act like that was something glamorous because that was death. That was death. That is all it measured out to. All my past relationships, all my abuse of whatever the things were that I did in high school. You know what that was? I used to refer to it as, hey, the good old days when we had fun and we laughed like idiots. It was death. Now I can just get drunk in the spirit and laugh like a kind of idiot, I guess. (laughs) People will look at me and be like, hey, you're an idiot, dude. These are the best of days. When it doesn't make sense. When it seems like it's a struggle to take another step forward because you're afraid of where God's going to take you. These are the best of days. Because at least here there's adventure. At least here there's a longing. There's a craving for more, for deeper, for further, for fruit. And so these people throw out this anarchy. Numbers 14, 11 says in the Lord, just listen to God's heart in this. And I want you to let this just hit your spirit. Let this hit your soul, whatever direction you find yourself. Numbers 14, 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This question hasn't changed, I don't believe. God's brought us into this new era where we are so empowered by the grace of God. We're so empowered by the Holy Spirit. And still, we can look back to our past and be like craving that. And you have to ask yourself, is is God asking that question, how long will you despise me? How long will you not believe in me after everything I've brought you through? You remember that time? You remember that time, oh, oh, oh son or daughter, that, that you, couldn't, you couldn't make the payment? And I came in for you. You remember that time where this person was going through this and, and I gave you the right words in the right moment and it just, it just shifted so much in that person's life? Why can't you trust me? You remember that broken relationship that you cried yourself through night after night after night. And who was there for you? And Father God would say, I was. How can you not trust me? So I want us to ask ourselves, just really pensively, just ask ourselves, why? Why do we look back to Egypt like it was so glamorous? And what is God saying about that? So why do we... The term is relapse. Why do we go back? Why do we relapse? And some things that I see from this story, um, we revert back to our own willpower. A lot of times we can revert back to our own willpower. And Galatians 3.3 says this, how foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? This is Paul writing to the church of Galatia. He's saying you started in the spirit. Listen, sons, daughters of God in this place, beloved, God brought you through the desert. The spirit led you to the desert and he will bring you through the desert. But you need him. 
You need to do it with the power of Christ because the moment we revert to our own human power, we're dead in the desert. We're dead in the desert. We see that in this story with Numbers. And so I'm just gonna read from Numbers 13, 30. It says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. Why? Because he trusted in God. And then the men who had gone up with him said this, we willpower, we are not able. You see that willpower? Their own strength says we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. Like I said, there's gonna be things that we face in life. Things that oftentimes are absolutely, the fact is, more powerful than you are as a human being. But if Christ is for us, who can be against us? If Christ is for us, who can be against us? And that was the approach. That's the perspective that Caleb enters this scene into where he says, you know what? I don't care how big those guys are. I know how big my God is. And I've seen what he's done. I've seen the moments. And so now I'm willing to make this momentum. Let's take the land. Let's take the land. But those that rely on their own willpower, we, we relapse. We fall back into that. The second thing that I think causes us to, to, to relapse is trying to recover without healthy support, without healthy friends. You see, living in Christ ultimately comes down to living in love, in relationship, in, communi- in, in connection, in communication, and this exchange of life. You can't love people in a life of isolation. You can't love people in a life of isolation. And church is a beautiful start to removing yourself from isolation. Church is a beautiful start. But if all you do is come and fill a seat and then leave, that's still not relationship. That's still not church. That's still not what God's called you to. That's why we've started this new movement of of community groups. That's why we have these things for people to plug into. And if you haven't plugged into those, plug into those. They're beautiful. And the exchange of life that goes on is, I mean, I, I'm just testimony. This week, this Wednesday, I was exhausted. Just, just totally drained. Just so tired. All day I was tired. And I get here to community group and I was like, man, this is, I'm like really tired. I don't know if I want to be here. I'm really tired. Dude, by the end of the night, I was like, I was a one spunky guy. I'm just saying, like the Holy Spirit breathes so much in healthy community. You know what Adam's life came from? The breath of God. The breath of God, not sleep. We need sleep. I'm not saying we don't need sleep. I need sleep, man. But the breath of God. And if we can get into those moments, those places, those opportunities with people and get some momentum behind it, God's spirit can breathe so much life into us. So are you tired? It's okay. Go and ask people to pray for you because you're tired. If you fall asleep while they're praying, that's okay too. I'm not going to judge you. Come take a nap. It's okay. But be with people. Surround yourself with healthy company. Ecclesiastes is the, one of the verses I used for my uh, commu- uh, community series. It says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person fails or falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And now, I threw in this word, I threw in this word about healthy support. Because who knows, you can have support that's very unhealthy. 
You know that, right? Like, raise your hand. You know you've had on some unhealthy support. Like, you were feeling some really awful things inside, and you had those friends that were like, yeah, it's okay to feel that way. Let's just go beat them up together. It's going to be awesome. Like, we support you in this decision. We support you in these decisions. This is a difference. Like, the big difference is what kind of people do you surround yourself with? And this isn't, hey, shun everybody out, but this is you need to watch over your soul and figure out how are people influencing your soul. How are people influencing your soul? The way you see life, the way you see yourself, the way you see others, the way you see God. How do those around you influence the way you see those things? See, in Numbers, they had all kinds of support. It says, Numbers 14.4, they said to one another, so there's a whole congregation of them, that's a lot of support. Say, hey, They said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. See, you can surround yourself with people that'll walk you right back to Egypt. They'll go with you. They'll support you. You guys can hold hands and hug all along the way. But at the end of the day, you're going to be a slave all over again. You can feel as loved as you want to in that journey. But at the end of the day, you're back in shackles. And they can't help you anymore. And you've been there. I know some of you have been in that place of relapse where you've gone back and you've gone back and you've gone back and you've asked yourself time after time after time, why do I continue to walk in the same habits? Why do we revert to those things? The third thing I think, again, the first, just to recap, reverting to willpower. Second, we try to do it without healthy support. The third one is we become prideful. We become prideful. Did you split the river? I mean, did you split the sea in half? It's rhetorical. You guys can say no. You don't have to feel bad about it. I didn't split the sea in half either. God split the sea in half. Remember who brought you through. You need to always remember who brought you through. You didn't do it. You didn't get yourself here. You did not get yourself here. Even if you're not a Christian yet, I don't care. You didn't get yourself here. The Holy Spirit has brought you to this place for a very specific reason. He brought you through. Everybody say, he brought me through. Remember who brought you through. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says this, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others have experienced. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. See, but if you forget that it's God who brought you through, you're not going to look for the doors that God opens to get out of there. When those moments come, when, when, when the habit presents itself all over again, when that codependent relationship starts knocking on your door again, If you try to do it by yourself, you're not going to see the door that God's opened wide open for you. Why? Because we become prideful. We try to do it in our own self. We focus on ourselves. We get this big head like, man, and I've seen this, and I don't think it's anybody in this church, but I've seen this before in the past where people like boast about their testimonies like, man, I was like this. I was just this awful person, blah, 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 and God brought me through. and And they're celebrating, but there's more them than God in the story. If there's more us than God in our testimonies, I think that's more of like a bragamony than anything, you know? 
because it's not about us. We didn't do it. God did. You can't do this about God. Numbers 13, I'm mean, Numbers 14, 39, just continuing with this story. So just to kind of sew all this together in case you're kind of lost in my jumping between these texts within Numbers. Spies went in. Spies bring back the report. People of Israel freak out, starting to throw this anarchy. They just want to break apart from Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, and they want to go back to Egypt. And then God breaks in the scene. He says, he says this thing is so cool, where he just says, like, how long will these people despise me? How long will they not trust me? And then he goes on to this. This is a heavy part of Scripture. It's probably one of the heaviest pieces of Scripture, um, one of the heaviest pieces of Scripture to wrestle with in Numbers 14. And God brings Moses. I don't have this on the, on the PowerPoint. God starts talking to Moses, and he says, God's just showing his heart. He says, you know what? If they're not going to trust me, I'm going to wipe them out. That's God. Like, that's, that was what God said, okay? And we can have theological understandings and debates about what that actually means. But he said, I'm going to wipe them out. So I brought them out. I gave them food. I gave them water. I gave them this promised land. And they're still not going to trust me. You know what, Moses? I'm going to wipe them out. All of them. All million plus of them. And I'm going to start new with you, Moses. He tells Moses, I'm going to start a new thing with you. A new thing with you. And you're going to become this great, mighty nation, and you'll inherit the promised land all by yourself. And, you know, as a leader, like, in church, for me, that would have been a tempting kind of a thing. Like, I'm just saying, like, if you've, if you've tried to help people, like, that's a temptation right there. It's like, you know what, God, that's so, t-. they were grumbling against Moses and Aaron, Right before this, they were arguing with Moses and Aaron, calling them out like they were horrible leaders. And God says, you know what, dude, I'll just wipe them out for you. We'll just start new. For Moses, that must have been a soul battle. Because he was probably thinking, you know what, that person did say that to me. You know what? Let's show them, God. Let's show them who's who's a good leader. Let's show them about how long they can be stuck in the wilderness. No, Moses has this incredible moment, one of the most profound moments of prayer that we see in Scripture. Moses just falls before God and he says, but God, you are good. You're forgiving. You're you're, you're tender. You're, You're so steadfast. You're so faithful. If you kill them all now, the people of Egypt and all the other nations that saw you bring them through, they're gonna start talking about it and it's not gonna be good for your name. And again, we can have so many theological discussions about this. We won't focus on that this morning. God says, because you prayed, because of what you've said, Moses, they're forgiven. I'll forgive them. But here's the thing. No choice goes without consequence, no matter what. Forgiven or unforgiven. With human relationship, whatever. No choice goes without consequence. The whole generation of Israelites that we just read about in the book of Numbers died in the wilderness. Everybody 20 and above. 20 years old and above. They stayed stuck. They were on the border of their breakthrough and their complaining and grumbling landed them in the desert for 40 more years. All in all, from Egypt to the promised land was like a two-week journey. Total. Like that's all it should have taken. It was like two weeks. And when they were right about to cross the threshold, they submit themselves back to a slave or to a a yoke of slavery. 
And they're stuck for 40 years, 20 and above, except for who? Caleb and Joshua, the two that trusted God, the two that believed that God would do what he said he would do. And again, we can ask ourselves, well, God would never do that to me. Well, maybe not, but maybe. I don't know. But ask yourself, where's your faith this morning? Do we look at the moments that God's brought us through simply, like I said earlier, photos in a photo album? Or do we constantly keep those things in our hearts and in our souls? And we say, because you did this, I will not fear this. I've seen what you do, God. I've seen who you are, and so I will trust you. Everybody say, just for, just for practice sake, say, I will trust you. So the first choice, we're going to talk about two choices really briefly. The first choice is the growth choice. This is what I've been talking about for this first period of this morning. The growth choice, maintaining momentum. And essentially, these things come through... Um, a, new, a number of things, you know, there's so many things, but I want to give you guys something practical so you don't just walk out of here like, man, I've got to go kill a giant. I don't even know what the heck that means. Like, I don't know any giants. Andre's dead. <laughs> Who got that? Anybody? All right, just making sure. All right, cool. This is this word called evaluation. Everybody say evaluation. Evaluation. As we study church history from the beginning to now, um, we see these things called spiritual disciplines, okay? Spiritual disciplines, beautiful things, very beautiful things. However, as with anything created, they can be abused, and they can become in and of themselves a yoke of bondage, which is crazy. But when used appropriately, when done from a heart of love and a passion to pursue God, spiritual disciplines are powerful. And they are the key, in my opinion, to taking you from one level to the next with God. Okay, so spiritual disciplines. First one we're gonna talk about is evaluation, um, also referred to as silence and solitude. This is a moment where you just get to yourself and you do exactly what I had you guys do at the beginning of service. You breathe and you ask yourself, what is my body telling me? What are my emotions telling me? What do my relationships tell me? And what is my spirit telling me? And we ask ourselves those things, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual. And we don't just ask about what's bad. We celebrate the good things in life. And so it's, it's so easy to get into these spiritual moods with God where we can become so focused on what needs to be fixed. And that's good. There's benefit there. You know, David said, search me, O God, and try my heart. See that there's nothing within me that is against you. And if there is, clean it out. Like, I'm yours. Take me. There's a beautiful thing in that. But there's also beauty in celebrating the positive things that God has brought you through. Hence, celebrate recovery. Celebrate recovery. You know, it's not something that we just, like, grumble through or whatever. We celebrate those things. I think about what happens when we celebrate the victories that God's brought us through. Who's ever, who's ever had a victory with God? Like, you just, like, like you, you walked out of that. You're like, man, I won. That was awesome. Like God's just so good. Those are good moments. You see, there's something beautiful about victories. It establishes what is called history with God. Like this history, like this background, this familiarity where we get to know God more and more. And it's something that can strengthen us to fight those giants ahead of us. Like I said, for the Israelites, Caleb and Joshua, they saw who God was. They saw what God did. So when they saw who these giants were, no problem. Who cares, dude? There's giants, like for all I know, God's gonna smash them with grapes, like who knows? Like God can do whatever he wants to do. He might split them in half, I don't know. 
He's a creative God. He can do all kinds of things. I think about David. David was this shepherd boy. The shepherd boy, anointed to be king, but he wasn't just a shepherd boy. It says that he was fighting lions and bears. Like he was fighting lions and bears. So in the past, God was getting him ready. And he says, when he faces Goliath, he goes to, to King Saul. And Saul says, how can you face this giant? And David says, I'll do it the same way I did to the lion and the bear. I saw what God did there. He handed them over to me. And in the same way, he will hand this animal over to me. If you can look back and see the things that God has brought you through and you look your, your demons in the face, man, and you say, you know what? God brought me through some things. This is not gonna hold me back anymore. Let's clap. That's awesome. He had the confidence to stand up to Goliath because God had delivered him before. But if you never face any giants, then you never have any victories to remember. If you don't face a giant, you don't have a victory, man. And that needs to sit with us because we can live our lives comfortable, complacent, apathetic, still. In a moment. But without momentum behind us, you don't have things to celebrate. And that's heavy and that hurts sometimes because maybe we've been in that place for years. So stand up. If you feel like you've been in this apathetic, complacent place with God for years, then stand up. Get moving. The sea has been split. There's nothing to wait for. He already did the heavy lifting. You just have to put a foot in front of the other. Momentum. Momentum. A second spiritual discipline I'm going to briefly talk about is something called um, meditation. Meditation. It's funny in Santa Fe, you say meditation, and everybody's like, whoa, dude, don't talk about that. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It's Santa Fe. So, meditation is a biblical word, not a world word. God designed your mind. Do you understand that God created your thoughts, your thought patterns, I should say? God has given us the ability to um about things. As God. Meditation in Eastern tradition is essentially emptying your mind entirely. That's the goal. I'm going to empty myself from all things. And in hopes, reach this place of nirvana where I'm one with the universe around me. That's Eastern. God's form of meditation is so different because it has nothing to do necessarily with trying to empty yourself of something. Rather, it's you fill yourself with something. It's actually a complete opposite. It's a complete shift. It says, you know what? I'm so full of worry. I'm so full of anxiety right now. Eastern meditation says, okay, we'll just sit there quietly till that all is just gone have you ever tried that like getting a thought to go away it's like hey don't think about purple elephants i said don't i said it and we can get to this place where we think we can be like so brilliant and philosophical in our own minds that we're going to clear all the stuff out of our head all the clutter and um that doesn't happen you can't erase thoughts you have to replace thoughts 
Your mind is always thinking. That's what it was designed to do. You can't erase things. You have to replace things. So biblical meditation is this thing. I'm going to fill myself with God thoughts. Paul says it like this. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is noble, whatever is good, whatever is just. And we could go on in the list. Whatever is beautiful, whatever is God, whatever is love, whatever is faithful, fill your mind with those things. The word says that as a man thinketh, so he becomes. As a man thinks, so he becomes. Did you hear that King James insert right there? Thinketh? That's, good. That's a good word. I'm just saying, we should go back to some King James a little bit. Question, who knows how to worry? Come on, man, every, every hand up in this place. Worry warts, we've all been there. Good news, if you know how to worry, then you know how to meditate. You're already there. All you do is ponder about something over and over and over again. You just create these elaborate scenarios in your head. It's, it blows my mind how like, brilliant God designed our minds to be. Like, I could think about something negative, dude, and I'll be like an hour down this journey, and I'll have like a whole, I could like make a movie out of my worries, out of the thoughts that come. They're so dramatic and like climactic, and like it's just crazy, but it's never good. When it's all set on worry and stuff, it's never good. Now, I heard this one guy say, um, this pastor from Bethel, he was saying like, you know, those moments of anxiety and worry, like, like, who's ever worried about a spouse like not coming home at a certain time? Like, they're supposed to be there. This might be sensitive to some of you guys, but sorry. But our first thought's never good. Have you noticed that? Your first thought is never like a positive thought. Like, well, hey, maybe they got a promotion. The boss kept them home late. That's awesome. We never go there first. It's like, what if, what if there was ice on the road and like, they, like something awful happened and it's like 80 degrees outside, but for some reason, we're just like creating these stories. I say all that because if you know how to be there in that place, you already know how to meditate. Now it's just time to shift. It's just time to shift the input of your thoughts. So, Psalm 1.1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law or the word of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Get this metaphor. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does. I think about Joshua, and I had this verse, but I got to go through this so quick because I'm running out of so much time, talking so much. I'm sorry, people. I'm just excited to be up here. It's really exciting. I will keep preaching, man. We'll be here till three, okay? I'm just saying. You better call and cancel your lunch plans now. I'm just kidding. I'll make this quick. I'll, I'll close this out soon. Joshua, one of the men who, who, who brought them into the promise. He's the man who brought them into the promised land, but he was one of the spies that kept a godly perspective, that trusted in God through the whole thing. When it's Joshua's turn to take over the nation of Israel and Moses passes away, God comes to him and he says, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause his people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. 
only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I want you to catch those two last sentences. How much responsibility God has put on us. We know God makes our path clear. God can do incredible things. God does do incredible things. Listen to the responsibility, though, that he just put on Joshua. He says, if you meditate on it day and night, and you're careful to do all according that's written on it, then you will make your way prosperous. Whoa. There's a lot of responsibility behind that word. And then you will have good success. You see, we can look at the wilderness one of two ways, as a moment, or we can look at it in this perspective of momentum. And either it can be life-stealing or it can be absolutely life-giving. There's no excuse, I don't think, for us to go through these seasons where we feel completely separated from God because God's given us his very word. He's breathed into this. He's always with us, literally, spirit always with us. I don't think we should sulk in those moments. My opinion, I might be wrong. But from what I see, I see in everything you do, you will prosper. In everything that you do, you will prosper. That's heavy, it's a lot, it's responsibility, but it's possibility. The final thing, spiritual discipline is prayer, supplication, which is essentially just open communication with God. Just vulnerable, open communication with God. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Catch that contrast. Tell God what you need and also thank him for all he's done. I think most of our prayers are probably telling God everything we need and we kind of neglect the whole thankful part. Something to think about. Hey, meditate upon that. Get a little um in there, you know? Thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can ever understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? So we have evaluation, we have meditation, we have supplication, prayer. And my final point for tonight, this morning, I mean, nobody caught that, right? All right. My final point for this morning is our final choice. This is the last choice in this series. We talked about the growth choice and I'm just going to say this, the sharing choice, the sharing choice. Everybody say sharing. I'm going to have to skip through so much of these notes, but basically it comes down to this. To some extent or another, every single person in this room has either gone through a wilderness or you're going through a wilderness. And there's not coincidence in that. You have a story to tell. Every single person in this room has a story of some sort of recovery to tell. You know what that story is full of? Hope. Hope. And there are people that are walking similar footsteps to what you got through. And they need somebody to come into their lives and say, you know what? I've been there. And let me tell you, the grapes are so much better than the giants. 
let me tell you, God is so good. God is so faithful. God will bring you through this. Amen? But we have to share. If we don't share, if we keep our stories tucked away in the photo album and we don't crack that thing out here and then to share, to show it to people and say, hey, look what God did in my life. There are so many people that are hurting and broken and all they need is a little bit of hope. That's in you. That hope is in you. We can't pray for breakthrough. We can't pray for these moments of breakthrough in people's lives if we're not willing to open up our life. That is contradictory to the word of God. That is so contrary to who God is. God did not create us to be in isolation just, and there's nothing wrong with praying for people in isolation. That is beautiful. But if you stay there, where's the connection? Where's the hope being exchanged? Where's the life that Christ has put in you? You see, Paul says this, those of you who are strong or spiritual, basically those of you who have made it through some wilderness times, Patiently help those that are struggling. It's a command. It says, carry one another's burdens. And what's beautiful about all of this is as you share your story, people get hope and you get healed. And you, if you've done this, you know this. You tell your testimony to a group of people, you feel good after. You're just like, man, It's like bringing out that photo album and being like, all these moments that God brought me through, all these moments, and everybody else gets to see it. Man, that was so cool what God did for that person. And they get hope, and we get healed more and more and more. So we've made some commitments the past couple weeks. Today, I'm just going to invite you to make the commitment to grow and make the commitment to share your growth with people. Amen? Let's all stand up in this place as we close in prayer. Father God, I just, Jesus, I just lift up, God, all your children in this place. God, and I just pray a blessing, God, in their lives, Father. May you, May you, sons and daughters of God, may you be free. May you live in constant, consistent, beautiful freedom. And may you never again submit yourself to a yoke of slavery or bondage. Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing in this place, God. It's not about this service. It's not about this building. It's not about um, any events or ministries we have going on here, Jesus. It is about us and you. God, us in connection to you. So God, I pray that freedom would reign in this place, God, that lives would be set forth in a momentous movement, God, that there would be so much growth happening in us, Jesus, and that we would share that, God, with those around us. We thank you for your presence, God, for your goodness, for your direction. God, and I thank you even this morning, God, that even in in our inadequacies, in my inadequacy, God, you are so faithful to move. Lord, may we stare giants in the face and simply throw rocks at them. 
because they are nothing compared to who you are. God, and may the fruit of the promised land be so sweet. God, that when we get a single taste of it, we can't even think about Egypt anymore. And in your name I pray. Everybody said, Amen. Be blessed. Actually, briefly, I'm so sorry. I got to pray over the